But Ephesians 5 and verse 21 kind of sums it up saying, submitting to one another of God. Basically, the gospel, realizing the reconciliation that's brought to us in Christ, this teaches us that we should put each other first. That my wife, I should submit to her and see that she is important in my life. And that my wife should submit and say, my husband is important. That I should look at you as part of my church family. That I should look at the people around me as more important than myself. Because this is what Jesus has displayed for us in going to the cross in revealing that we are more important to him than his own existence. That's how much he loved us. Seeing his love, it motivates and empowers our love. And then he breaks it down, going into different relationships and husbands and wives. We looked at this last week, love and respect. Ephesians 5.33, Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Did any of you have any experiences with this this week that helped you out? Did any of you notice moments where you're like, oh, that might have felt not loving to my spouse? I don't know, there were moments where I remembered, especially the C in couples, I think is the most important one for my wife. I remembered closeness. Okay, so. It's really important that I be close to her and also the openness that I'm not distracted in this moment. And so there were times where I actually went on a trip this week and I thought when I get back, what I'm going to do is I'm not going to be focused on writing the next study guide. I'm not going to be focused right away on writing my sermon, but I'm going to focus on her. Did you have any experiences like that? I hope that you did. I hope that we don't just walk out of here implement the things that we're talking about that we're learning from Scripture. So Paul, he's going through Ephesians and he's pointing out Husbands and wives, this is how you live together. Then he goes to children and parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I remember when we used to have family worship, my dad would say, okay, what should we read today? He'd say, let's go to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1. So I'd say, okay, and then I'd, I'd whisper to mom, mom, what's that verse that comes right after Ephesians 6 verse 1? And she'd say, it's, it's verse 4. Say, okay, Dad, you go ahead and read your verse, then I'm going to read my verse. So he'd read his verse, and then I'd read this. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. I said, Dad, I'll obey you if you don't provoke me to wrath. You see, Paul is just giving this picture on both sides of how we can interact and how we can have thriving relationships. Then he even goes into something else that was common in society at that time. Oh, sorry, I think we went a little too fast there somehow. Servants and masters. Now, when you read in the Bible and it describes how a servant and a master should interact, it's important to understand that this is not saying that the Bible is prescribing servitude and having slaves or anything like that. But instead, when we see something like this, we realize that in that time, he's explaining to them how they should live within the current system of things. So this is how a servant and master should interact. Verse 5, bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters in sincerity of heart as to Christ. But he doesn't just leave it there. He jumps over to the masters. And you masters, do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven. And there is no partiality with him. 
Do you see what Paul is trying to do in the book of Ephesians? The Gospel, he says, is so powerful that it should impact every single relationship in your life. It should impact your spouse. It should impact your children. It should impact your parents. It should impact even if you're a slave and a master. Just The Gospel changes everything for us. That's the power of what Jesus has done for us. That's what Paul is just bursting with throughout the book of Ephesians. And then he goes on to sum it up, starting in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Now, in context, he's talking about our relationships. He's talking about husbands and wives, slaves and masters, children and parents. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in His strength and in the power of His might. This is not something that you and I can do in our own strength. You know what it's like when your spouse is just driving you crazy. Well, some of you maybe don't have that experience and praise the Lord for that, but maybe you've had it with your child or with the person at work or with that neighbor who has that broken down car that they need to get off the street and you've been trying to call the county on them. Whatever it might be in your life, you know that person. You know that relationship and you know the strength that you can only find in God. Then he goes on to say this, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Because on the one hand, Christ has gone to the cross. He's created this reality for us of reconciliation. He has put to death the enmity that was against us, and he has provided for us an atonement of a oneness with God and a oneness with each other. And how do you think the devil feels about that? He's the enemy of Christ. He wants to do everything to destroy all of these relationships that Paul has been going through, whether it's with your spouse or whether it's with your children, whether it's another relationship. The enemy is after that relationship. Society is founded on relationships. The family unit is what makes up our society. If that can be broken, a society falls apart. The enemy knows that a church will fall apart if he can just break up the marriages, just break up the families, just break up the friendships, just make you an unloving person, although you might be sitting in the pew, although you might be going through the motions, but not really letting the gospel impact your heart at a deep level. That's what the enemy wants to do to us. So Paul goes on to say, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Let this sink in. The relationships he's talking about are are common ones that you and I deal with all the time. And then he goes on to say, finally, stand strong in the Lord. So, so deal in these relationships. You need God's strength in these relationships. And then he says something that can transform your relationships. He says, you don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That will change your relationships if you let that sink in. You're not wrestling against your spouse. It's not your spouse who is the enemy. 
You're not wrestling against your kids. You're not wrestling against your parents. You're not wrestling against your boss. You're not wrestling against your coworkers. You have an enemy, but it's not the people around you. You've been reconciled in Christ. You are to be brought close together. Your enemy is not your brother, not your sister, not the people around you. But your enemy is a roving, roaring lion, as Peter wrote, who's seeking to devour you. Does that make sense? In our relationship, sometimes we feel like, yeah, if they could just realize this. But in the end, what's really going on in our relationships is that one or the other of us or both of us are buying into the lies that the enemy is feeding to us and his temptations are what are leading our relationships down. And so what we need to do is to guard our relationships from the attacks of the enemy. So he goes on to say, how do we do this? Verse 12, uh, verse 13, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So go ahead and take out your study guide from your bulletin. And on the back of that, there's a place for you to take notes because hopefully you're going to hear some things that will help you practically in your relationships today. And we're just going to look at this armor of God in a way that hopefully will be eye-opening to you today. The armor of God has applications that are deep and powerful and that go throughout our lives. But today we're specifically going to focus on the relationship aspect of the battle that we face because the reality is that that's what the devil is after. And that that's the context of what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about relationships. And so how can the armor of God assist us and help us in our relationships? So you can follow along on the screen or you can pull out your Bible, Ephesians chapter 6, and we are now in verse 14. Verse 14. We're going to start with the belt of truth. Verse 14 says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. So he's using this picture of the armor that a soldier would put on before going into battle. And so he would put this belt around his waist. So first of all, put that belt of truth around your waist. Now we're going to find that as we go through this, that the place that we find, the source that we find all of these elements of the armor that we need to put on is the Word of God. John chapter 17 and verse 17, Jesus speaking, he's praying to the Father, he says, sanctify them by your truth. Your Word is truth. It's the Word of God that is the truth that girds our waist, that's, that's that protecting the important part of our body around our waist. We need truth to protect us. We need truth to sanctify us. And to be sanctified means to become holy. To become holy means to become like God. And God is love. So what do we really need in our relationships? We need to be sanctified by the truth so that we can have genuine love in our relationships. Because the love that the world feeds to us is not a love that's lasting or that's valuable. But the love that you'll find in this book that's revealed from cover to cover is the love of a God who laid down His life for you, who's crazy about you, and who wants for every aspect of your relationships to thrive and to blossom and to grow. That is the God who's revealed in Scripture. 
Well, today we actually have a very special guest who's here with us, and I'd like to actually invite Zelda to come forward. Now, she's very hesitant about this, uh, coming forward, but she allowed me to invite her to come up. Zelda is the cousin, through marriage, of Beverly. She's here from, well, you tell us, where did you join us from today? England. England, all the way from England. That's fantastic. So tell me what happened about 30 years ago. What did you start to do? Well, I got married and then I met my husband's cousin, um, Beverly. And she had a faith in God and she asked me some questions. And so I started sending her the Sabbath school lesson book and I've been doing that ever since. Wow, so about 30 years ago, she started sending Beverly every single, now it was once a, how do, how do the, the, the study guides work there? Ours are every, uh, every six months. Every six months, there's two quarters bound together in a book, so every six months she sends it off to Beverly and Beverly gets that and begins to study her Bible more and more. Now, you do this year after year after year, did you know that she was reading them? No, not necessarily. It's not necessarily, but you kept sending them to her anyway? Yeah. Yes. Wow. So you were just persistent about sending truth towards Beverly. Yeah. Did you ever think, well, maybe this isn't worth it? Not at all. God sends his Holy Spirit to work at the right time. She told me that in the lobby earlier. She said, you know, it's not really a big deal. I just did what the Holy Spirit was telling me to do. He's the one that gets the credit. And that's what happens in our relationships well, I won't, I won't torture you any longer, but welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Yes, I'd love for you to say whatever you'd like to say. I just want to say that when Beverly told, moved and told me that she was going to come to the Adventist church here, I was worried because some churches are not necessarily very welcoming to people who come. And I prayed so much that the church here would be welcoming And I thank God that you are an open, practicing Christian church that welcomes people in. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Thank you for being so loving as a church family. Thank you for praying for us, because that's probably what helps to make us a loving church family. So praise God. If you don't know, it was about a year ago when Beverly, two years ago, I guess it was now. Time flies when you're having fun. About two years ago. So Beverly came through the doors and she came into Sabbath school. She, she told us that she was here so that she could kind of get up on Sabbath school before going to visit her cousin. And then before long, she started studying the Bible here at church and eventually became baptized and now is involved in all kinds of things and now is helping us to raise funds so that our kids can learn about Jesus. Do you see the value of truth? It's transformative in our lives. It transforms even our relationships. Now, you told me earlier that you guys have always been close and that that was why you sent those, but have you seen any positive improvements in your relationship since, since you joined the church? I'm seeing nods. Some, some, some improvements. I believe that the more truth Paul's telling us, the more truth that we bring into our lives the more enriched our relationships will be, the more of his love that we'll experience in our relationships. So the belt of truth, it's something so incredibly valuable to us, and I want to encourage you with your husband, with your wife, 
study the Bible together. With your kids, study the Bible with them. Build truth into your life because the more truth that you have, you know, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. The Bible says in Psalm 119 and verse 105 that thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. You want to know the direction to go in your relationships? The Bible will reveal that to you. It reveals to you the character of a loving God. So we go on in Ephesians chapter 6, and we look at the next part in continuing in verse 14, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. It's pretty fascinating if you look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says the breastplate of love and faith. Really, when you boil down what righteousness is, righteousness is agreement with God, which is like holiness. And we've just talked about it, that holiness is likeness to God and God is love. Because sometimes when we say, okay, the breastplate of righteousness, obviously the breastplate is super important. This guards my heart, this guards my lungs, this guards all of the the weaker parts of my body that are extremely sensitive to spears being thrust in them or whatever happens in battle. So I really need to make sure that I'm wearing this breastplate of righteousness, but The word righteousness can sound kind of sterile, but in reality, it represents the love that God has. So we're going to look at something in Deuteronomy chapter 6 to see how the Word of God can increase our righteousness. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 25 says, Then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as He has commanded us. So, This is saying that the commands of the Bible, specifically at this point, all the commands that have been given in the Torah, are given for the purpose of your life experiencing righteousness. And later the psalmist says, all of your commandments are righteousness. Your law is righteous. What does that really look like? I mean, there's some really weird laws in the Old Testament, aren't there? I mean, is that really going to help me? In my relationships, I don't really understand how this works. Well, there's only one other law that is related to righteousness in all of the books of Moses. That's the first five books of the Old Testament. So we're going to look at that verse here really quick. It's also in Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse 13. Now this is talking about the case where somebody has given their garment to a person in pledge. That doesn't make much sense to us today, but let's say that you only had one piece of clothing to protect you from the elements, and you needed to borrow a cow from somebody, your neighbor, and so you take your garment and you say, I'm going to give you this, and I'm going to be cold, but I'm going to give you this because I really need to borrow your cow for whatever purpose you borrow cows for. I'm not really sure why you borrow cows. But you give him your your cloak, and this is what God says. He says, when that happens, when when your brother gives you his, his cloak as a pledge, this is what you need to do. You shall, in any case, return to the pledge to him again when the sun goes down, that he may sleep in his own garment and bless you. He may owe you, he may have your garment, he may still have what you have, whatever the pledge was for, he may still have your cow. But when the sun goes down and your brother is going to go to sleep, you need to give his garment back to him so that he can have a good night's sleep 
and bless you. And then it says this, and it will be righteousness to you before the Lord your God. Do you see what it's talking about? Righteousness is not some ethereal term. It's a concrete term that impacts how we interact with people. It means that when I see somebody and he's going to be cold sleeping tonight, even if technically I could keep his pledge, I'm going to give it to him because I don't want him to be cold tonight. This is why we learned last week that Jesus said, you could sum up the whole Old Testament, all of the laws, all the things that are there, by saying, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Loving people genuinely from the bottom of your heart, looking out for their good. This is what righteousness looks like. And that's not natural for us. But we're gonna, we'll look a little bit more at that further on. But let's keep going in Ephesians chapter 6 to the next part of our armor. The shoes of the gospel. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 15 says, And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So here, uh, this is actually from Isaiah chapter 57. I didn't change the verse there at the bottom. Isaiah chapter 57, I believe it is in verse 2, says this. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings good tidings of glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. You see the connection between the word of God and the gospel of peace? The gospel of peace is to take to the world this message that we have. Really, we could have had Zelda to come up and share about sharing the gospel of peace because that's what she was doing. She was just simply sharing the truth in the way that the Holy Spirit led her to. This is a valuable thing in our relationships, not just for forming new relationships and not just for bringing people to truth, But even for our relationships to be strengthened, if we participate in spreading the gospel of peace together, it's a really powerful thing. And I know this because I believe that that the marriage that I get to have is one of the most incredible ones that I've I've ever witnessed. Uh, Maybe it's because I'm really up close and personal with it, but I love my wife and I think that our marriage is the best. So we've been married for 10 years, and I'm really happy about that. But from the moment that we met, the first time that we hung out, we were headed on a week of prayer up at uh, Grass Valley School. It was a, a school, we were in Bakersfield, and we drove five and a half hours or something like that up to Grass Valley. We spent a week with high school kids doing ministry, and I started to fall in love with this girl during that week. As we were trying to minister to people, as we were helping people, and our relationship has always revolved around service. So I want to encourage you, if you find in your relationship that things are becoming tense, especially for husbands and wives or boyfriends and girlfriends, go on a mission trip together. Go and serve somebody together. Focus on how you can help people, how you can get involved. Share the gospel of peace with others together. And that selfishness that's creating the rift within you, that can be done away with by going on the offensive for Jesus. The enemy tends to get us when we're sitting down on the couch. But when we're active for Jesus, he may try to get in, 
But there is such strength in serving Jesus together. So I encourage you in your relationships, if you want strength in your relationships, serve Jesus together. In fact, this is proven through a study that was done. It's called the Value Genesis Study. In fact, there's been three different Value Genesis studies that were done on Seventh-day Adventists specifically. I believe the first one was like 15,000 different participants, but this is summarizing all of them. It says, in all of the Value Genesis research projects, family helping projects or altruistic, that means that you're helping others, activities have been seen as a significant statistical factor in building both a rich and growing faith life and building loyalty to the Seventh-day Adventist church. The facts don't lie. Statistics show that if you serve Jesus together, you're going to love Jesus more fully. You're going to be more consistent about your experience with God. When we begin to be self-focused and turn inward, then we also begin to bite at each other too. We begin to be selfish in our relationships. The next part, shield of faith. Going on in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, and now we're in verse 16. It says, above all. So this is the most important part of the armor, Paul says. Above all, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. So here's a picture again of this battle that's going on that that the enemy is going to be shooting fiery darts at you. And what you need is that gigantic shield to put up in front of you to keep the darts from coming at you. So how do we get faith? Paul's really clear in Romans 10 verse 17. So that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You know, there's a lot of different darts that the enemy throws into our relationships. There's a whole lot of distractions. And a lot of times what the enemy is trying to do is to take down that shield of faith. To distract us from building ourselves up with truth. To distract us from serving. To distract us from the things that really matter. So today I actually wanted to invite Joy Chalker to come up and share about a moment where she and Ron experienced the attack of the enemy being maybe shielded, we could, we could say through faith, but experiencing a transformation in their relationship. Good morning, church family. I'm so glad you all are my family. Um, please turn to Philippians 4.8. Yesterday, when Pastor Zach asked me to share something about my life, I immediately felt uncomfortable. But I took it to the Lord, and he gave me his peace. Others here have shared personal details about their life, and trusting that it may help someone else in their walk with the Lord is what gives us the courage to share. And... I found it was also an opportunity for me to really count my blessings because as I reflected back on this, it was just like, wow, God has really done a lot. We are all real people who struggle with real problems. And although we're talking about TV, it can be a real addiction, as real as any other addiction And I'm not saying that all TV is bad 
you know, far from that. But we're talking today about guarding, guarding our relationships and the things that damage them. And Pastor asked me to share the differences that I have noticed in my husband, Ron, since we got rid of our cable TV. (laughs) First of all, I have to back up a bit and go back to Ron's childhood when he got hooked on the comfort, the relaxation, and the escape that TV had to offer. His dad actually traveled for a living and so was rarely home during the week at all. And his mother taught music lessons, piano lessons. So after school, that was she was busy doing that. He was alone for the most part and was allowed to watch TV. So his habit in our marriage was similar to most Americans, to come home, turn on the TV, relax, just escape and unwind. He tried at times to cut back on the amount of time he spent, but he was not moderate, and he couldn't just watch a little. He knew that I really didn't appreciate the TV, and that put an underlying tension in our relationship. I tried not to talk about it much, and he could tell you that I I didn't nag, But it was obvious that he knew I didn't like it. Um, Prayer is always the best choice in these kinds of situations. Just take it to God because what we cannot do, God is able. And he actually ended up convicting Ron in a really powerful way. It happened when um, Pastor Ivor had left, and um, Ron was the head elder of our church. There was a time when he was asked to give an anointing service, and he prayed and studied for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit really began working in his life and convicted him that he needed to get rid of the cable TV in our house. He was pretty adamant about it and, um, uh, you know, asked me how I felt. Well, you know, I there were some programs that I actually enjoyed, like HGTV, Home and Garden Channel, and things like that. But I also was willing to get rid of this thing. And um, God wants our relationships to be fulfilling. And he wants to give us life more abundantly. And so, as we obeyed his voice, due to that first step, many other things followed. Not long afterward, we attended the prayer conference. It was there that God's spirit really fell upon us. We began praying together almost daily, and as we still do to this day. Ron became much more helpful around the house, helping with meals and dishes and occasionally buying groceries, 
becoming more helpful and actually easier to get along with. To me, (laughs) this was really big, but what else has changed? What else has God, God done? Ron now has more time to exercise. He gets up earlier each morning. He has more time and energy to study. And he has actually started writing a book. He's taken online classes. He's also more approachable. He's in a better mood. And he listens to that still, small voice. Research has shown that cable and satellite type of TV actually makes you more of a negative person. It numbs your mind and it drains your motivation. And it distracts you from your life's purpose. If the Holy Spirit in the past has been speaking to your heart about this subject or anything else, um, just remember that you need to replace the bad with the good. So good books, got you know, studying the Bible. Um, three ABN and Christian TV was a big help to us initially. There are so many good Christian videos, documentaries, health lectures. I now really enjoy listening to different podcasts, and some of them, the names of some of them are Building Relationships, um, God-Centered Mom, and my favorite is actually called Family Life Today. So now we pray together. We exercise together, we walk together, we talk a lot more, and we have a lot more time to get things done. So here we are at Philippians 4.8. These are the things that we are to think about, to meditate on. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, the things that are just what is pure, what's lovely, what's of a good report. If there's any virtue and if there's any praise, these are the things that we need to think on. So I just wish you God's blessings as as you um, commit to follow him in his ways. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Joy. So thankful that she's willing to share that personal testimony about one way in which God revealed to them, hey, this is something in your life that's hindering relationships. Ron saw, hey, this is hindering my relationship with God. But the outflow of that change in their lives was to improve other relationships. You know, God doesn't ask us to take anything out of our life. He doesn't tell us to focus on whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good report, so that our lives can become boring. He tells us that so that we can have thriving relationships, so that we can have an abundant life. And this isn't just to talk about television. Now, television is a huge way in which the enemy can possibly have access to us. But I can't stand here and tell you, well, I don't have a television, so there's no temptations. How many of you have a smartphone? I mean, how many things could you get on here that you can't get on cable television that may be worse? 
there is all different avenues that the enemy can use to access our lives. And what we need to do is to guard the channels of our minds, not just so we can have a, a, a halo around our heads, but because we really want to experience love for God and love for people around us. We want our hearts to be changed. And, and when I sit for hours and I watch a movie about people killing people, that has an impact on me. When I spend a lot of time watching a show that has people sleeping around, that has an impact on me. That starts a train of events and thoughts in my mind. It transforms my brain. It has an impact on us. And there's a lot of other ways. It might just be, hey, I spend so much time at the golf course that I don't have time for my kids, for my wife. There's so many different avenues, but this is just one avenue, and, and it's, a, it's a pretty clear one. In fact, there's a Dr. Eric Pepper, a brainwave researcher. He said the horror of television, and today this would basically be any fast-paced media, which we have a whole lot of it, is that the information goes in, but we do not react to it. It goes right into our memory pool, and perhaps we react to it later, but we do not know what we are reacting to. It impacts us. It influences us in ways that we don't recognize. Or how about the music that we listen to? Have you noticed that the best way to learn something is to listen to it repeated through music? You know how you can learn lyrics so fast? If you want to learn Scripture... Scripture songs are amazing. They're not always the most appealing to listen to, but it sticks in your mind like nothing else. But it's the same way with those lyrics, and so many of the lyrics today are abominable, honestly. And they're abominable because they're focused on destroying your relationships. They're focused on destroying your happiness in life. That's what makes them wrong. That's what makes us want to, to turn aside from these things is because they don't teach us how to have healthy relationships with God and with people around us. But instead, they plant seeds about how you want money, how you want women, how you want whatever it might be that you're listening to. All the things that are the opposite of what will really bring you happiness. I was actually just recently watching a presentation where Neil Nedley was talking about mobile devices and the impact that they have on relationships specifically. There was a study done and it's recorded in the, it was done in the UK at a university. But the 2013 Journal of Social and Personal Relationships, this is a summary of the study. It says, the mere presence of mobile phones inhibited the development of interpersonal closeness and trust. So what they did was they had people, subjects, come together for a 10-minute conversation, and some of them had phones with them and others didn't. And just having the phone in the room as they talked together, that distraction was enough that when they asked them how they felt towards each other, there was a noticeable difference. It goes on to say, it diminished the extent to which individuals felt empathy and understanding from their partners. There's an impact when you're texting and your wife's trying to talk to you. When you're scrolling through Facebook and your fiancé is trying to get your attention. Whatever it might be, there's an impact through our mobile devices. The downsides were strongest when a personally meaningful topic was being discussed. Friends, there are a whole lot of relationship killers out there. 
the enemy is seeking to destroy your relationships. He doesn't want you to have a happy marriage. He doesn't want you to have a happy family. And that's why we need to saturate ourselves with the Word of God because it's in the Word of God that we discover truths that can enrich and build up our relationships. Going on in our our armor, the helmet of salvation. This is an important part, again, that, that protects the mind, that protects our, really our emotional stability to recognize the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ is such a, a peace-giving thing. And we find that again through the Word of God. James 1.21 says, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. There's actually salvific power in the Word of God. The Word of God planted in your heart transforms your life in such a way that you're enabled to love God and you're enabled to love people. When you're focused on this, rather than all the distractions that drag you down, it transforms your relationships in powerful ways. Finally, in the armor of God, actually there'll be one more after this, sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It just tells us straight up, The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Now there's something really crucial that's been discovered in the Value Genesis study about the Word of God and what it can do for our family specifically. The Value Genesis study of more than 15,000 Seventh-day Adventist young people and their leaders showed that the single most important factor, the most important factor, the single most important factor of Actually, in the study, there was about 40 different factors that were given as part of the study. In helping children stay loyal to Jesus in the Seventh-day Adventist church is interesting family worship. Having worship together, gathering around the Word of God, gathering to focus on Jesus is the most significant factor for families, for kids to grow up and to love Jesus. That's really significant. This is just the data from families and what they actually experience. The study indicates that this is the place where young people learn to love and respect God, express their faith, feel acceptance, and recognize God's claims on their lives. But what does an interesting family worship look like, and how valuable could that be for your life? So I want to go ahead and invite Leah to come up, as well as the Warnicks and the Lewises to tell us a little bit about family worship and some things that we might glean from that. These families are inspiring in that they have little ones who aren't necessarily the most still or the most quiet, but they are faithful to have family worship with them on a day-to-day basis. So I said, I want you guys, because I know there's lots of people out there who you've had family worship or maybe you no longer have kids at home, but you still have worship together. But it might be easier. So I tried to pick ones that might be harder. They have little ones that are super active. But we'll start with you guys. Just tell us, what do you do for worship? You have little Evan. He's super busy. He's all over the place. But what do you do on a day-to-day basis? Well, for the evening, I'm usually not there for the morning. Uh, Ashley has worship with him in the morning. But uh, in the evening, we basically um, we sing some songs. We read different Bible story books. Um, uh, we have uh, My Bible Friends, Forever Stories. I don't know, we have probably 
10 different Bibles and uh, different versions and styles, anything to keep him entertained. Um, and then we uh, sing songs, and because he makes lots of uh, noise and is very active, and uh, we have a lot of uh, parents and friends that thought it was humorous to give us musical instruments and drums and harmonicas and stuff like that. So we use them for song service. So we can pretty much turn any song into some sort of musical instrument song, very similar to Sabbath school class. That's awesome. And how does Evan like worship? Does he sit there and just say, like, oh, I can't wait till this is done? Or what's his response to family worship? Well, um, it's different every day. <laughs> um, most of the time, I think he enjoys it. In the evening, sometimes he gets a little tired. And our worships now aren't very long. I mean, max 15 minutes, you know. But um, in the morning, he seems to have a little more patience. So he, he spends a little more time with me. And he likes to snuggle and, and we'll read worship and things. But um, I... For some reason, he likes the stories, but the singing part isn't always his favorite. So he likes, like with Aaron said, unless, with the, unless it's Jesus loves me. Yeah, he likes Jesus loves me. He's he'll sing that one, but he likes to march. So we'll march around the house with instruments, and he likes to turn all the lights on around the house. So he likes when we do that. <laughs> That's really awesome. Okay, so I think it's the same for you guys. Stan is home in the evening time, so you have worship as a family. Alana has worship with the kids in the morning. Tell us a little bit about what your family worship looks like. In the morning, um, we do. Since I homeschool the kids, we just start our day at the breakfast table with the Sabbath school lesson and um, do worship that way. And oftentimes the response, usually it's, you know, you have one one lesson for each day. Sometimes they're combined. But most often on Monday morning, it's like, read more, read more, read more. So usually it's not uncommon for us to run through the lesson before Tuesday or Wednesdays here. Yeah. But um, we'll do that. And then we always, something that we started when they were young that um, I really love, and I think they've grown to like it, is in the morning and in the evening, we do our thankfuls and then we do our prayer requests. Mm -hmm. And that always kind of drums up conversation. Um, and so we're very, I'd say that's something that we're really pretty intentional about. Um, and then we talk about, have our prayers been answered? If so, they're not always what we want, but we talk about that too. And then we talk about the times that God answered exactly what we wanted. And so that's kind of neat because I want the kids to see both, mm-hmm. you know, but the God's answering. Mm-hmm. He, he's not ignoring. So we do that, and um, Stan is a big part of worship in the evening. Yeah, so in the evenings, we, I think it's important just to have a lot of options. So we have missionary stories that we can read. Um, we have the Uncle Arthur bedtime stories. Mm-hmm. And those, for, yeah, those are big hit. Um, they're kind of on the nose, but they're just like, you can learn a lot of good lessons from them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, one thing that we've really enjoyed is this, um, child's, uh, story Bible. It's a Catherine Voss, um, publication. And it, it, um, actually it's not like a picture Bible, but it's just a written out narrative chronological order of the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. It's been really good for us, um, just to keep things straight, you know, I mean, I don't know about you, but you know, you hear all these children's stories growing up and you're just like, well, is this beef? Is that before or after Christ? Is that before or after the flood? You know, I mean, these are honestly 
but but it helps everybody. I mean, we it took us a couple of years to get through it, and what do we do? We last month we started it all over again. Mm-hmm. So we'll just keep reading that one um, through and through, and the kids love it. And that's another one. It's like another one. Can't we do another chapter? You know, they love it. That's so awesome, and I've been at their house sometimes for evening worship, and it's so awesome to hear the kids praying and hearing them go through their thankful list and all the different things that are on their hearts. So let me just ask one last question as we wrap up. What difference does family worship make? Because you've told us what you do. Hopefully it gives lots of good practical ideas. Does it make a difference in your day? Do you see a difference in the kids? How does it impact you? Alana's shaking her head, so we'll let her go first, and then if you guys want to add. You should ask the kids. Um, Unfortunately, we're not perfect so there are mornings that we rush out the door to get to an appointment we're not great with being on time or getting to things early in the morning but um, there are days that we do skip worship or forget about it and oftentimes I mean the kids they bring it to my attention a lot I will be come on come on get in the car how many times have I told you let's go let's go and it even gets to where you know it's like this is something that bugs me. I've told you guys a million times, you know. And so it goes south really fast. And we get in the car, we're driving out of the driveway, and it's like, guys, what did we forget to do today? And they both say, we didn't have worship, Mom. And it just, it really does kind of set the tone for the day. We're kinder to each other. I know that I speak kinder to them and am more patient. And um, it was kind of huge when they recognized it and told me. Mm-hmm. So it mm-hmm. sets the tone. Mm-hmm. And even if you don't have little kids, you probably notice that. I know early on in our relationship, we would just start arguing about something or whatever. It would just kind of start spiraling down. And then Zach very nicely would say, did you have your worship this morning? I'm like, no. <laughs> so it definitely makes a difference. Anything else you guys want to add? Just the difference that you've seen it make in your family? Well, like I said, Aaron is usually already at work when Evan and I have worship, but I've really made a point to start having worship like before even breakfast because his worship time is still pretty short, but I feel like temptations and issues can arise even around breakfast. (laughs) And so it even helps me to be patient with him and when we pray usually in the morning we're praying about the day so if I know that we're doing something or we've been struggling with an issue even he'll pray he'll you know we kind of prompt him and help him pray but we do pray about the day and it really does seem to help us both to be a team because he is my little sidekick right now (laughs) so um, yeah that's so awesome thank you guys Uh, one other thing let's toss it in We do another thing that we do a lot throughout the day or the week too that I think is helpful for families with kids is we do a lot of audio. So we do the Your Story Hour, we do the Bible and Living Sound, and the kids really like that. And then praise music um, is is a hit, and it's true. It's the we all walk around the house singing that. So it's just a nice addition throughout the day that keeps the keeps the mood, keeps the kindness and stuff. So, Amen. Thank you guys so much. Those are golden tips that I hope you you take with you. We live in an unprecedented time where you can have access to somebody reading you the Bible constantly. Like you could literally put it on the speakers in your house and listen to the Bible while you go about your day. And they have animated versions that are great for kids. And 
all different ways that you can saturate your life with truth. I love what it says in Testimonies for the Church. Really, it, it captures exactly what Ashley said about, hey, even before breakfast, got to make sure to have that worship. Whether it's just for you personally, whether it's you and your spouse, whether it's your whole family, in every family there should be a fixed time for morning and evening worship. How appropriate it is for the parents to gather their children about them before the fast is broken, to thank the Heavenly Father for His protection during the night, to ask Him for His help and guidance and watch care during the day. How fitting also when evening comes for parents and children to gather once more before Him and thank Him for the blessings of the day that is past. Gather your family together. Worship Jesus together. And you're going to find that you have that sword of the Spirit, that powerful weapon that when the enemy comes in, you're ready for it. You're, you've been built up. You have that closeness to Christ and closeness together in Christ. And finally, the, the armor doesn't really stop there because Ephesians 6 verse 18 goes on to say this, kind of how we apply all of the armor. This is really crucial. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. The more that we pray together in our relationships, the stronger they will become. This is proven statistically. Again and again it's been proven. In 1993, Gallup poll, this is from the book Prayer Saturated Kids by Cheryl Saxon, Arlen Lawrence. A 1993 Gallup poll revealed that morning, that among married couples who attend church together regularly, the divorce rate is one out of two. So even if you attend church, the divorce rate is still 50%, just like the rest of the world, sadly. It should be different, but just attending church isn't going to transform our relationships. At least that's what the statistics tell us. That's the same statistic as for marriages outside the church. However, it goes on to say, among married couples who pray together daily, the divorce rate is one out of 1,153. All right, so if you take no other relationship advice away, pray with your spouse, pray with your family, pray with your friends, Get a prayer partner. Pray together because this bonds us to each other and it bonds us to God. It goes on to say, prayer builds unity and intimacy. We become intimate to whom we pray, for whom we pray, and with whom we pray. There's power when we pray together. So much power that you can go from a 50% divorce rate to a .0086% divorce rate. It's incredible to think about the difference that can be made in our relationships when we pray together. Another one, Dr. Phil in his book Relationship Rescue, this is a, a blog actually talking about it, or this is, it was quoted in a blog, an interesting statistic shared by David McLaughlin in his wonderful series entitled The Role of the Man in the Family reflects that the divorce rate in America is at a minimum one out of two marriages. But the reported divorce rate among couples that pray together is about 1 in 10,000. Okay, so this is getting even bigger. All right, this study found that it was not just 1 in 1,153, but actually 1 in 10,000. Pretty impressive statistics, even if you reduced it a thousandfold. This is an incredible statistic to think that 
Relationships that pray together really do stay together. It's proven based upon experiences and based upon the statistics that we find. So what happened that morning? As my dad walked out and he found my brother on the bathroom floor, he had all these burdens, he prayed, he had a little bit of peace, a little bit of ex- a little bit of a break from that, that burden and then suddenly to realize that everything else is going wrong in the house and he needs to get ready to go preach at this church. Well, we were in the habit at that point of having evening worships together, but we hadn't yet started the awesome habit that you guys are talking about, about having a morning worship. But that morning, for some reason, and I don't remember it as a four-year-old, I just hear my parents tell this story, but as a four-year-old, I woke up to chaos, <laughs> The, the house was in chaos. And that morning, my dad said, I wouldn't let up. I said, Daddy, Daddy, let's have worship. Daddy, Daddy, let's have worship. Because my four-year-old mind had finally connected the dots, and I knew that worship got rid of chaos. And it'll do that in your relationships too. I said, Daddy, let's have worship. And my dad's busy with my, my older brother with his sermon, with all these things, and he said, okay, fine, we're going to have worship. And so he took me, and he took me into the living room, and he said he went to grab a devotional book off the shelf, but as he went to grab it, he said, you know what, that one's good when his older brother's here, but let's go to the year before because it's, it's, it doesn't really apply to a four-year-old. So he grabbed the book from the year before, and it was a story from March 17. And as he began to read the story, it told the story about Alan and his dad, who were on the way to the post office. As Alan and his dad in Parkersburg, West Virginia, drove up to the post office, Alan saw an old man trying to place an envelope in a mailbox. The story goes on to say that Alan said, Dad, we've got to help him. He can't get the, the envelope in the mailbox. And so his dad parked the car and they went and they helped him to put the, the letter in. And then they went into the post office to do what they needed to do. They came out and as they were driving away, Alan noticed on the street, there was that old man walking down the street, tapping the street with his cane. And Alan was compelled. He said, Daddy, Daddy. We've, we've got to find out where that old man is going. We've got to help him. Look, he has a cane. He's, he's having a hard time going down the street. Let's help him, Daddy. And so they stopped and they went and they met Mr. Prunty. And they said, where are you going, Mr. Prunty? Well, they didn't know his name yet, but he introduced himself and they learned that he was Mr. Prunty. And they said, where are you going? Can we help you to get there? And he said, well, actually, I'm not really going anywhere. I'm just walking down the street till I get to the bridge so that I can jump off the bridge into the river because I'm done. And he went on to explain how his wife had disowned him and kicked him out of the house because of his alcohol problem. His wealthy brother had also given up on him because of his alcohol addiction. At one point, Mr. Prunty had been a wealthy, renowned West Virginia state senator, a respected man in the Senate of West Virginia. And now, he was an abandoned old man ready to commit suicide. Well, Alan's dad immediately began to say, no, you don't, you, your life is valuable. You don't want to do that. Isn't there something that we can do? And, and Alan immediately said, you need to give him a book. You need to give him a book. And so they, they grabbed a book out of the car and it was Avenus Reading for the Home. 
which goes through different Bible studies. And, and they said, here, here's a book for you. And he said, Adventist, I knew Adventist when I was, you know, in fact, I used to be connected to an Adventist church as a kid, but I went away from that. And Alan's dad said, well, you know what? I know a lady who lives not far from here who would be willing to give you room and board, and she's near an Adventist church, and, and you could go back to an Adventist church. There's hope for your life. And so they took Mr. Prunty to that lady, and she took him into her home, and pretty soon Mr. Prunty asked, well, would you guys give me Bible studies? And pretty soon they'd given him Bible studies. And not long later, Mr. Prunty was coming to the end of his life, and Alan, on that day when he went to see him again, he told Alan, I'm going to see you in heaven because of what you did that day. The devotional concluded by saying a junior Adventist, a young junior won a soul to Christ. On that day, that was exactly the story that my dad needed to hear. And I want to tell you why. It wasn't just because that's an inspiring story and that's a great, it just gives hope for what God could do in my dad's situation. But it was because my dad had grown up hearing that story from the time he was a little kid. He was born in, Park West, in Parkersburg, West Virginia. His older brother, who was seven years older than him, was Alan. His dad was a call porter in Parkersburg, West Virginia. He'd always heard this story about Mr. Prunty and how Alan had saved Mr. Prunty from committing suicide. But he didn't know that it was written in any book in all of the world. But that morning, he realized that the God of the universe is longing for us to come together and worship Him each day so that He can show us how much He cares for our lives, the details of our life, that He knows about the stories of our life, that He knows what we're going through, that He knows the burdens, He knows all of it, and He wants for us to come together to worship Him, to build our lives on truth. Because when we do we're going to have increased confidence in His ability to see us through each and every day. Friends, you can trust your God. He loves you. He's crazy about you. He's given you the Bible to reveal His character. Let's build our relationships on the solid rock of Jesus Christ as revealed in Scripture. I want to invite you just to bow your heads with me as we pray in closing. In this prayer, I don't know where you're at today, but I just want to give you the opportunity to, first of all, ask Jesus into your heart. He wants, if you're in a position like Mr. Prunty, He wants to, to save you today. He wants to give you hope. But second of all, I want to invite you just to ask Him to, to lead you to a firm commitment to daily build your relationships on a solid rock, to daily put on the armor of God in your relationships so that you can guard them from the attacks of the enemy. Why don't you just share with Jesus what's on your heart right now and just make a commitment to him about you and your family, you and your relationships, and how you will intentionally seek to build them on the word of God. Thank you, Father so much for giving us your word. And Lord, we just want to echo Joshua in saying, as for us in our house, as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. 
Oh God, may we found our relationships on your word. May we daily put on the belt of truth. May we daily put the breastplate of righteousness on the, the gospel of peace. May we put them on as shoes, Lord. May we put that helmet of salvation on the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit. Lord, may we build our relationships on the Word of God. I pray this in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen.